Attorney, advocate, author, public speaker. The Lisa Wexler Show. WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Flip that switch and turn on your brain. Here is Lisa Wexler. And welcome back to the show. 203-333-9422. Let's go to the phones. Diane from Milford. Hi, Diane. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, oh, pleasure to speak to you. I love your show. Thank you. I try to listen to it every day. Thank you. I just wanted to correct you on the uh, tennis facts about the... Please. Uh, go ahead. Iga Schwantek. Schwantek. Okay. Iga, what a yeah. pretty name. Iga Schwantek. She, she's only 21 years old, and she never played Serena. Oh, she's not the one that played Serena. Thank you for correcting oh, me. Thank no, you. Thomas uh, something. Okay. <laughs> thank you. From another country that beat uh, okay. Serena. All right. Well, this woman uh, really uh, this did Iga it. Iga Schwantek is amazing. Is she? She's been the number one tennis champion in many tournaments for the past, I don't know how long, and she's only 21. Fantastic. You know, so I think she, she deserves a little, little more than the guy that won the men's. Well, that's why I wanted to talk about her because, you know, we only, I mean, that's what happens, you know, on the Monday afterwards, you only get like the news of the Sunday. But I remember that on Saturday was the women's championship. It was a marvelous match. I was on the edge of my seat every really? minute of the time. Oh, are you a tennis fan? Do you play yourself? Do you like I, tennis? I, in my young days, I, yeah. I haven't played for years. I'm, I'm old, <laughs> oh. but I, I love the game and I was pretty good at it, but oh. I love watching it. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, Naomi, uh, what's her last name? Naomi, the one that, Osaka. Um, You know, she was supposed to be, you know, the big new championship, Mm -hmm. but she ducked out Mm -hmm. a little bit for her, you know, for her own good reasons. But I'm just saying she's she's taken a walk away. And then there was interesting about that is it's come to the foreground that there are a lot of mental coaches on tour with these players. Both both the players had mental coaches, which helped them. It's the game you might think is a physical game. It's Part of it is a great deal of it may be mental. Even though they have, they, they have the physical ability, their mental uh, state gets in the way of what they're able to do physically. You know, Diane, I've been told this by so many people that at a certain point of athletic competition, no matter what the sport is, it's all mental. Because yeah. the people competing at the very highest echelons are all excellently talented players. They are beyond gifted athletes. But well, the difference I, I between the, the person... Was, uh, my, my, the love of my life, uh, Rafael Nadal, uh-huh. who got defeated way back in the beginning of this uh, tournament. Yeah. With him, I think it was physical. Well, uh, maybe, so because at the, they reached the end. And, and the you know, they reached the him, end. I don't even remember who beat yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, it was just better physically and yeah. wore him out. And, and the guy is old. <laughs> what can you say? Yeah, well, when they're old, that's different. But at a certain level, when they're all in their prime, it's the mental toughness that distinguishes the champion from well, the other you know, guy. It was, it was uh, Raphael's mental toughness, I think, partly, that kept him going. He was determined to win. But in the end, I think the physical just you know defeated him. Anyway, Diane, thank you so much for calling and for correcting oh, my pronunciation. Thank you so much for your show. It's, it's a great delight it. for me. Thank you so much. So let's go to Brenda Kupchik, the first select woman of Fairfield. Brenda, you had sent me while I was on air, I had a chance to review it quickly over the break, a bunch of documents with respect to this uh, situation about how the 
voting tabulation machines are being handled in Fairfield. And you as the first select woman, you felt that you needed to get involved because of accusations that you're making against uh, the Democratic registrar. But he, but he, for his point of view, and he's not on the show with us, but he has, you know, vehemently denied that he did anything wrong. Welcome back right. to the show. So Hi, Lisa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hi, Lisa. So listen, um, just to give you some context here. Yeah. Uh, this situation has been going on since June. There has been multiple complaints coming out of the registrar's office. Now, I am the leader of a town um, that when complaints come in to myself, to the town attorney, or to our HR director, who is also attorney, um, those things, we started uh, documenting them. The town attorney, I asked the town attorney to handle this matter. He was in contact um, constantly with the state, uh, the secretary of state staff attorney regarding these allegations and complaints that were coming out of the office. So I, I'm not I'm not here to, to cast aspersions, make allegations. I'm telling you what I was told, what our town attorney has been dealing with, what we have been dealing with. When you're a leader of a town and you're being told, reported from, from the Register of Voters Office, that a register is accessing tabulators by themselves in clear violation of state statutes, coming on the heels of a whole host of other things going on that are concerning as hell, you say to the Secretary of State's office, which our town attorney did, what can we do to secure these tabulators? and make sure that the laws are being followed. The Secretary of State's office staff attorney told our town attorney that it would be within the law for us to change the locks, give the keys to the administrative full-time assistant in the Register of Voters office, who would accompany the Republican Register or the Democrat Register any time they wanted to access the tabulators and be there to monitor it. Plain and simple. I never had access to the keys. Why would I? I have no interest in having access to the tabulators. I wouldn't even know what to do with a tabulator. So the bottom line is, this is an ongoing situation that has been well documented. And what I'm sending you, and and we didn't want to have this politicized in any way, shape, or form. These are serious allegations. And this is a very concerning issue. And we have been following all the rules. Well, you might not have wanted to politicize it, but your headline on the town of Fairfield no, no, that I you didn't just sent me. It. It, was, it was posted by the Democratic Town Committee that I seized control of tabulators. Right. That is a bold right. faced lie. Okay. okay. And so that prompted then my office to have to respond I to see. these months and months of things that have been going on. And you can see what I sent you, which is a documented information that's been going on for months that we have posted and sent to the Secretary of State's office. There is a case opened within them. And this, um, the election enforcement has also opened up a case. Mm-hmm. I have said repeatedly, let this process play out the way it's supposed to play out. And I have asked elected officials to please not politicize this because this is, these are very serious allegations. And they should be handled within the process, within the Secretary of State's office and the election enforcement. And I welcome their investigation. So, and you, and you published something, and I'm quoting from something that you just sent me, Democratic Registrar Violated State Law and Town Policies, semicolon, investigation opened by SEEC. 
Uh, and then you write, the recent posting by the Democratic Town Committee on Fairfield Patches is distortion of reality that requires that I share with the public recent occurrences in the town registrar of voters, ROV, office, said first select woman Kupchik. And then you talk about how you're concerned with the integrity of the elections, et cetera. So I guess what I'm asking you is, was there another way, Brenda Kupchik, for this to have been handled without your direct involvement? In other words, is there a mechanism in the state of Connecticut that somebody else swoops in from the Secretary of State's office or this SEC to investigate so that you would not have had to become involved? Well, I, I'm the leader of the town, and they work for the town. I mean, there's a register of voters office. There are employees that work there, and they have to follow workplace rules. They also have to follow, follow the law. So if a complaint comes into my office, I did what I think any other first select person would do, hand it over to the town attorney and ask him to, to handle it, mm, and he did. Okay. Okay. He reached out to the Secretary of State's office, explained what, what the complaint was, and they advised him. To do, to do this, we had to protect the primary. Lisa, if you were in my position and you were told by somebody in the register's office that one register was accessing tabulators alone on a weekend, what would you do? Well, I, I would probably, I would probably do exactly as you said, which is contact the town attorney first. Uh, but this is Correct. what I don't understand. This, and you sent this to me, and so there's no secret about this. I don't well, no, understand. No, no, no. But Brenda, Brenda, this is what I don't understand. I'm, I'm going to read a sentence to you. And I, I think that this sentence is what the sentence is that's causing a lot of accusations. And I want to know how you interpret the sentence. This is a sentence from the Office of the Secretary of State in the Memorandum of Opinion in which they say we are writing this opinion to address the unique and concerning escalation of issues between the registrars of voters in the town of Fairfield concerning the storage and access of the tabulators. After review of the custodial policy recently implemented by the first select woman, we find that the custodial policy does not sufficiently address the issue, nor does it comply fully with regulation section, blah, blah, blah. It's that sentence, nor does it comply fully, that I think is causing a lot of accusations right now. So I'm asking you, how would you like to address that statement of the office of right, Secretary that is of State. One, though, that's one letter. So if you look yes. at the email that came out of the Secretary of State's office prior to that, mm-hmm. okay. it said that it was okay for us to do this. I we see. asked them. Okay. And they said, do this to protect ah, it. Okay. 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 So and, that's, and just okay. so we're really clear here, we had um, the town attorney on the, the Democratic uh, town committee chairperson called after the fact, talked to our town attorney and brought on an attorney from the um, state of Connecticut Democratic Party. And it was explained exactly what was going on. And their attorney said, oh, we see now. I mean, we were told by the secretary of state's office that this was OK to do or, or we wouldn't have done it. Got it. OK. Okay. I mean, we wouldn't do anything without consulting an agency that oversees this. I mean, obviously, um, I would never do that. And okay. It just doesn't make sense. Okay. All right. And well, in I, addition to yeah. this, there's a lot of other issues. There's HR issues. There's all kinds of issues. And, Lisa, I mean, our Republican register literally resigned last week. Because Mr. Ellsworth? 
Yes, and he's a former selectman, and he just the the, the resigned, stuff that's huh? been going on wow. in this office. So it, if he it, resigned, who's the acting registrar in Fairfield for the Republicans? What happens? The deputy registrar. Um, Who is that? Has been, um, yeah. Her Who name is, is Kathy Politi. Kathy Politi. Kathy Politi. Okay. Uh, have you I seen Kathy being, Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I believe she's being say? sworn in today. His resignation was um, effective, I believe, Friday. Okay. Well, uh, you know, um, Ms. Kupchik, I don't know if you've seen, but Ms. Politi has um, been pretty vocal on Facebook um, and posted quite a bit of things that have been sent to me. Have you seen her Facebook postings, a lot of them? No, I don't. Listen, there's a lot of Facebook postings going on. Um, Mr. Wagner posts a lot of things. Okay. A lot of people post mm-hmm. a lot of things. Okay. And frankly, um, there is a, there are laws in place. I don't care who posts what. We have laws that we're supposed to be following. Now, you have to secure the integrity of elections, period, full stop. No one should be accessing tabulators by themselves. I'm sorry. They shouldn't. And if, if you're told this, you have to take action, and that is exactly what the town did. Okay. The town um, attorney reached Ms. out Kupchik, to the Secretary of State. I hear office, you. So let me, let me just say this. Please stay on hold because I want to be fair. I have somebody else in my ear. Um, Andrew, who else? Who is on hold now? I know Christine Stewart from News Junkie is on hold. And who else is on hold? Steve Scheinberg from the Democratic Town Committee is on hold. Um, I think it's only fair, Mr. Scheinberg, I'll give you a couple of minutes to respond, but then I must go to our invited guest, Christine Stewart of Connecticut News Junkie. Um, and just so you know, Ms. Kupchik, Mayor Kupchik, uh, pardon me, First Select Woman Kupchik is on hold and listening to this conversation as well. Uh, Mr. Scheinberg, hello, welcome to the show. Is there something that you want to say? Hello. Yes, good morning, Ms. Wexler, and good morning, Madam good morning. First Select Woman. Uh, the question I have for you, uh, Madam Selectwoman, is that on your attachment that you released of 100-plus pages, on, I believe, page 70, it says that the locks were changed on August 2nd. The email that you're referring to from the Secretary of State was after that change of the lock. So I'd like to just ask you if you could please explain that to the people of Fairfield. Did you change the lock before your town attorney reached out to the Secretary of State's office? So that's question number one. And question number two is the Secretary of State last week released a statement ordering your administration to change the lock to a dual system. Why were you given that directive from the Secretary of State on the lock? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Scheinberg. Mr. Scheinberg, uh, um, I'm not an attorney, and neither are you. The town attorney has been in discussions with the Secretary of State's office going back to June regarding a lot of bizarre behavior happening in the Register of Voters' office. Now, I, you can speak to the town attorney about it. I don't get to that level of involvement. But posting that I took control over the tabulators is completely inaccurate. I never touched those keys. This is a matter between the town attorney and the secretary of state's office. 
They have been talking, emailing, all of that. And you're aware of it because you were on the phone with them and you were told about this. So to post this in a political way when you know full full on that there has been massive problems going on there is is a little a little strange. So if you want to ask questions about when, who, how, that those are conversations that you can have with the town attorney. I'm the first select person. I directed the town attorney to handle this matter with the secretary of state's office. I didn't call the Republican town chairman to get involved in it. I had the town attorney manage this because this is a town matter. And frankly, it's quite serious. And it's being investigated by the uh, elections enforcement. So this is, this is not a political issue. This is a serious matter. Okay, I want to thank you, Ms. Kupchik. I personally want to thank you for listening to the show. You're always welcome to call in and, and clarify and state your point of view. Mr. Scheinberg, thank you for calling in as well. I'm going to go to our sponsors right now and come back with Christine Stewart of Connecticut News Junkie. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Thank you so much. Join the conversation. Give Lisa a call. 203-333-9422. It's the Lisa Wexler Show. Only on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. That was Christine Stewart, who is the founder and writer, editor for Connecticut News Junkie, a wonderful digital news newspaper that has been around in Connecticut for a long time. I'm a regular reader of that. Christine, welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hello. Morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So, Christine, I asked you on to talk a little bit about a story that you, I think, were the first to publish uh, about what's going on in terms of the registrar's office in Fairfield. But I think as you heard, when I introduced the fact that you were going to be coming on the air, uh, the phone started lighting up a little bit. Oh. So, um, and that's, well, that's fine, thing, right? Yeah, I am not taking any, I got no oxtagore in this at all. I just wanted to report to the people of Fairfield that there was this, um, that there is this controversy going on or this issue maybe going on is a better way to put it because I got, you know, some emails over the weekend and I was walking at my slice of Saugatuck Festival in Westport and people were already talking about what was happening in Fairfield. And so, you know, like you, I have my ear to the ground a lot. So uh, what do you think about this, Christine Stewart? Is there any information you think our listeners would want to know from your reporting? Uh, Well, I mean, I I think what's interesting is that the Secretary of State's office is not not re- responding to requests to comment beyond the letter that he wrote um, about the escalation of issues and the dual lock system that they have since installed. So the Democratic and Republican registrar voters have each been given one unique key. And I think also what people need to understand about uh, these voting tabulators is that really they're basically a box with a scan machine on them, but there's there's nothing that can be done with them or manipulated with them if you don't have the memory card. And the memory cards are kept separate under under lock and seal, right? Um, so there hasn't been any discussion about exactly, you know, the, the memory card should not be in the tabulator when the tabulator is being stored. So, you know, basically this is just a 
kind of a, a useless piece of equipment. It's like having, you know, a scanner or a printer, you know, in your office. It's just there. Um, so, but I think that the obviously the integrity of the vote is is up for discussion, and the integrity of the vote has become very politicized um, over the past two years. So, I think that people get very very excited by by anything that happens um, in this realm. And also, you know, people need to remember that the registrar voters are independently elected um, by, yeah, they by are. the citizens. Of, they are. I mean, I know and that so, I know that Ms. Kupchik referred to them as employees. There may be employees in the office, but the registrars, I don't think they consider themselves employees because they I mean, they may get their paycheck from the town of Fairfield. But because they're independently elected, they have their own oath of office. You know, they take an oath. They do. Yes, they do. So they are independently elected and, mm-hmm. and they do have their own their own powers. And, you know, I guess this is the, the good and the bad thing about Connecticut's uh, uh, electoral process is that it's very decentralized. Um, I think it's the secretary a good thing. of state's office I think it's doesn't good it's have. A, yeah. yeah, right. But the secretary of state's office doesn't really have a lot of control because these are independently elected I see what you're saying. Well, it was interesting uh, to hear. I didn't I didn't realize that the registrar, the elected registrar resigned. And so the deputy I didn't, registrar. I did not realize that either. Yeah, yeah. And that she's being sworn in today. Yeah. So that's news to me. And um, she's being sworn in, but she wasn't elected. So query whether or not you have a special election for a registrar. Do you do that? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if she's being sworn in today, she's clearly appointed, and then the position would be up, I guess, then in November. Uh, um, so is it this November that the registrar? Oh, that's right. So it's really only for a very short period it of time. It would be because it's that's a vacated, right. yeah, it's that's a vacated right. um, yes. position. And and Mr. Elworthy did not return our call for comment, so we don't know exactly, you know, why he resigned or or what happened okay. there. Okay. Um, so we don't have Oof. that piece of information. But um, if it was referred to the State Elections Enforcement Commission, then I believe we're probably going to see a lot more of this and, you know, whether there was anything nefarious that was going on or if it was just, um, you know, um, just a, a security response. And exactly, it's really those memory cards. And if those memory cards were not in those those tabulators, there's nothing the Democratic Register could have done um, to to impact um, the outcome of, of any election. I see. I see. So are you saying then that um, are you saying that that maybe there was I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, if there was nothing that could have been done to impact, if they're just empty vessels of machines, I mean, are you saying that maybe you think that there was too much made of whatever it was that was accused of being done with those machines? It might have it might have escalated. And I know, obviously, that, you know, it, it has definitely escalated on on social media and, and the back and forth between the I Democrats see. and Republicans and, and Fairfield. So um, but I mean, I, I can understand, you know, wanting to protect the the integrity uh, of an election and, and taking steps to taking steps to do that. Um, and, you know, it's very you know, opaque has... to most people. I didn't know about these 
memory cards until you're telling me right now. I would have assumed that the tabulators had the information in them. So I can understand why the public would have assumed that. Right, exactly. And so that's, you know, that's not the case. And these things are obsolete already. Like nobody manufactures these anymore and you can't even get any parts for them anymore. Interesting. So, um, wow. The upcoming election is actually really important because whoever the next secretary of state is going to be is going to decide how Connecticut is going to vote for the next 20 years. Really? Why? What, what, what's going to what happen kind of with these machines? We're gonna use. Why? We're going to throw out these machines after spending all that money to put them in when we used to have the curtain <laughs> votes. And frankly, well, I, I miss my curtain vote. And I thought that was the most safe and secure way of counting ballots. It was decentralized. It was unhackable. You had four sets of eyes looking at the numbers at all times before they were written down and then given to the registrar. And I know because I was one of those sets of eyes. It was virtually foolproof, and it wasn't hackable. But but we got rid of all those machines to have these tabulation ones. You're telling me now we're going to be getting new machines, Christine Stewart? I didn't know we that. We are going to be getting new machines. We're going to get new machines, and, um, you know, there, you just can't – you literally cannot even find the part to fix these machines or replace these machines. So once the machine goes, it's gone. So – Oh, I mean, you know, we're going to you know, we're going to come back to the same question of whether or not the machines are made by a manufacturer with integrity. I mean, you realize the rabbit hole can get very deep now. Oh, it can definitely get very deep now. And I think it's going to. And I think that's why, you know, it's really important to ask these questions of your secretary of state candidate before before this election to, you know, figure out figure out where they stand on this. What are the options for the new Secretary of State? I don't know that they've investigated um, any options yet, but I, obviously the next Secretary of State is going to have to be going out to bid within the next two years on, on new voting technology. And obviously also for, up for discussion is going to be whether they're, um, uh, we're going to be allowed to have electronic poll books. So instead of going into the polling place and having somebody manually cross your name. I like the manual. You see, I'm a big believer in analog (laughs) and manual because it's not hackable. You know, it's subject to occasional human error and I, an occasional human error happens. It does, but I would rather have an occasional human error, which statistically is unlikely to ever affect the outcome of an election versus something being hackable by a bad actor you know, who can get in in a cyber way and destroy the integrity of an election. That makes me more nervous. Right. And that's why, I mean, you know, even with the memory cards within these machines, there's no there's no Wi-Fi technology that's exactly. connected to those. Exactly. None. Right. And that's important. And you I know? think that, you know, the former Secretary of State, Susan Beiswitz, who's now our lieutenant governor, um, remember, she backed out of the original voting technology that she proposed using. Um, she proposed using the um, it was like a, a video uh, video touchscreen type of technology. And we revolted against that. Right. The people revolted yeah. and yeah. she decided on this this paper, this optical scan paper version mm-hmm. so that there yep. would always be a paper trail. Well, and we haven't had so, any problems with that in terms of counting. I mean, you're still going to have an occasional election that, you know, requires people to, you know, like the one in Bridgeport once in a while or whatever, where they're so close that the parties want to have 
a different kind of a fight or a new one. But but that but nothing has well, gone to the receipt of the ballot that you exactly. can recount exactly by hand. Right. Right. So, Christine Stewart, has the issue in Fairfield been played out in other towns or communities around Connecticut, to your knowledge? It, uh, no, not to my knowledge. It has not played out in any other town. Um, so it seems to be a, a very local issue there. But that's not to say that, you know, as we get closer to the election here, um, the ballots um, should be finalized within the next two weeks and people can start casting their vote by absentee shortly. Can they really? I thought I thought candidates had until October in order to withdraw their names from the ballot. It's this. Do they soon? have until October to withdraw their names from the ballot? I am not sure. They could withdraw their names from the ballot, but I think that the the printing of the ballot because the absentee ballots. When are the absentee ballots due? Um, I don't know. Look this up. Um, it's it should begin. It should begin shortly. I know that in the independent party lawsuit. Yeah. Um, that the judge planned to rule this week on the lawsuit um, because he knew that the ballots would be printed shortly. Okay. Well, it's not that so much longer. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, it's November 8th is the election. Whatever's going to happen has to happen relatively quickly I know, it's now crazy. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Christine Stewart, thank you so much. CT News Junkie uh, is a great, you do a great service for the people of the state of Connecticut. I thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Stay tuned. Where new Canaan comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. Okay, we're going to switch the conversation around a little bit and talk about something affecting Stanford and to some extent Norwalk as well. Our next guest, Maureen Boylan, is, lives in Stanford. She's been an activist for many years with a particular eye toward the boatyard area of Stanford, now Harbor Point, developed by something called BLT Building Land and Technology, which is the prime mover as well behind the new city to go up in Norwalk right off of Exit 40 around the Merritt 7 complex bordering Wilton with a series of seven different uh, five to 15 story buildings. And one of the issues that has come up in Stanford recently, and I will admit to being an enthusiastic supporter of the idea of investigating whether or not, and to what extent we could have ferries uh, take us from around Long Island Sound to go back and forth to uh, Manhattan. I think it would get cars off the road. I think it would be a beautiful way to travel. I think it's a, a no brainer for the right kind of use of Long Island Sound, presumably with all kind of environmental uh, protections for our living marine creatures in the sound. But Maureen Boylan joins us right now because she may have an opinion on it that differs with mine, and she's welcome to it from an informed point of view. Maureen Boylan, hello and good morning, and welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Thanks for coming on. Hi. Lisa, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the time, and I'd like to thank uh, Gary Silverberg for uh, connecting the two of us together. Sure, it's a pleasure. So, Maureen, give us a little history of your activism in Stanford. Well, uh, I have uh, legions of supporters from uh, Stanford, Norwalk, Darien, Florida, Vancouver, who um, have come along 
in support of Save Our Boatyard in regards to uh, the illegal destruction of the boatyard that was done on New Year's Eve night in 2011 by this developer um, at 12.03 at night. And oh they decimated goodness. 14 buildings without a permit. Wow. And we actually sued this developer, and we took the case uh, all the way all the way up to New Britain. And uh, unfortunately, we lost the case. Uh, but we've been at this since 2009. And um, what they need to restore what rightfully belongs on the property is a 14-acre working boatyard site. And hence, um, going back to the ferry, let me explain the reasons why. Wait, Maureen, um, for just a second. You say yep. that you lost the case. Why did you lose the case? Uh, we lost the case on standing, and we think it was very politically motivated. When you have Dan Malloy, who originally brought this developer here from town from Norwalk, and the thing that galls me the most is he was running for governor, and um, you have him running. You have now the Attorney General, uh, William Tong. You have Jim Himes. You have Senator Murphy. You have uh, Senator Lieberman. You have Senator La- um, Dodd. And then you have Carlo Leone, all of Dan Malloy's boys who not once commented or said a word on the largest nautical property on the East Coast getting illegally destroyed. But if, the, if it was, I mean, you use the word illegal, but if you use the word illegal, Maureen Boylan, if you use it the is word illegal, illegal but, they didn't but, have permits. Okay. Okay. But if they did it illegally, how come the courts didn't rule in your favor? Explain. Uh, because I didn't have standing. Um, there's a 16 page report. They felt that the developer was entitled to it. Um, I can, I can send you the whole legal uh, report. I, I would be. I'd like to see it on. only because if you say, you know, because you're making allegations on the air, I would really, you know, you use the word illegal. I, can, I don't I like sure. to. I don't I like can, to throw that word around. Report. Do you know what I, I mean? No, I'm sure. Really but I, to talk on yeah. that, I was really more prepped to talk on the ferry. But it yeah. all ties in. So let's talk about. Okay, I know it does. I know it ties in. So okay, so your point is that there was a 14 acre site that was demolished from what it used to be to something else. What happened to that site? What was anything rebuilt it's on that site? It's currently sitting vacant, and okay. um, it it should have been returned to a fourteen acre working boatyard site, and it hasn't. And was it a what private boatyard? Right now is was was it a private boatyard? And they violated the CAM Act, which is the Coastal Area Management um, mm-hmm. Permit, which is it, which is a coastal area management which is done by the DEEP. And it states rules and regulations, and there's probably 140 pages of that that's been in violation of this. However, how the ferry ties into this is that the current mayor is exploring all options for this ferry. Okay. Now, what you need, what the listeners need to know is that the um, the current mayor, Carolyn Simmons, three predecessors prior to her could not get this done. Why? Because it wasn't feasible. And I'll tell you why. And there's a host of reasons. There's not enough width or depth in the West Channel for a ferry to turn around. It uh-huh. just it's just not going to work. You're not okay. going to be able to turn it, and there's not enough depth of water. It takes approximately 23 minutes to get out of the harbor, okay? Oh. And that's at the break wall where the lighthouse is. And then another 90 minutes to get to 34th Street. When you get to 34th Street... You then have to take a shuttle bus to get to Midtown to Rockefeller Center. 
okay? The pricing was back in 2012. We spent $385,000 on a survey under Mayor Pavia's um, administration. Mm -hmm. Besides all hundreds of other thousand dollars on four studies that were done that all proved having a ferry here was not feasible. But back then in 2012, it was $26 one way to go to the city. You can only imagine what that rate is now, okay? Why would anyone want to take a ferry at that cost and spend 90 minutes getting to 34th Street when I can get on Metro North for half the price and be there in 49 minutes on the Well, that's your choice, but there are reasons why people like to do all kinds of things, Marie. I mean, that's like saying, why does somebody want to take a car in traffic versus— well, you, I don't know. You might want to, or you might not be working. You might have a, another reason to go to visit the city for the day. You might be going to a show. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people go to the city. There's a lot of reasons. But then again, if you have a a, um, a ferry like Sea Streak, they're not going to run a ferry empty back from the city. And that's what's going to happen, because they tried tailing this okay. between Norwalk and Stanford to have both places operational, and, and it didn't work in the feasibi- feasibility study. That's, that's the thing. And now with the current the state of the pandemic, nobody's okay. going back to their offices to work. Everybody's working from home. Mm, that's not true, but okay. That's not there's true. You can't make broad statements that like that. Not, not yeah. commuting. I, I, I understand that, but there's a lot of trends in a lot of different places. Uh, right, so, but no so, ferry operator is going to run a ferry back empty coming back from Long Island or New York City because the volume is not there. We don't so have, have you, the level have you of volume heard about what Glen Cove is doing? Have you have you I'm heard sorry? about have you heard about what Glen Cove is doing? Glen Cove, Long Island. No, I have not. So it's just interesting because Glen Cove and it's taken us several years for them to do this. And look, the feasibility is the key, Maureen. I'm very interested in the, in the distance. I didn't know that it was 90 minutes and I'm certainly very interested to know whether or not that part of the Harbor can take a ferry, right? I mean, these are actual facts and the facts um, may, and, and frankly should decide the decision-making on this, but in Glen Cove, um, they are, they built a ferry terminal and they're going to have a high-speed ferry, and it's going to take 45 minutes from Glen Cove, Long Island, to take a ferry into Manhattan. And that's pretty cool for them. So, so that's, why, that's why it's been raised here, here because they're right, doing it on Glen Long Island. Right, but that's Glen Cove. This I is a bigger that. difference than Glen Cove, and you have to have at least 225 people for that boat to be successful and the, the, the vessel operated to be successful. Okay. And like I said, they're not going to run empty ferries coming no, back from New York. Not. No, it's got to make economic sense. We understand of that. A hundred percent. And it has and to make nautical sense. Could be a yeah. win-win situation. Now, however, Sea Street just raised their prices from 275 to $4 one way. What's Sea so Street? What, what Is that, that the one from the East River? What's Sea Street? The one on the East River to Brooklyn? It was on News Channel about? 4 about an hour ago. They just raised the fare. They didn't say where, but just that mm-hmm. Sea Street raised its prices from 275 to $4. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the, the ferries have been more successful than people realized uh, in and around the East River of Manhattan. So there is a demand if the travel can be as you said, economic and also feasible in terms of the boat itself. Now, I, you would think that it would be pretty easy to know whether or not the ferry can turn around at Stamford Harbor. Obviously, Mayor Simmons is going to find that out. I mean, if that if it can't right, turn but around. Right, the three mayors before her looked into that, and all of the four feasibility studies already proved that it can't. 
because you have ONG and you have the barges, and it's also going to wreck recreational boating. What is ONG? ONG is the big gravel site right next to the crab show. Okay. They come in with their barges daily, sometimes twice a day, and they come in with, with the big the big barges with the gravel on top. So that's not going to be a very good commute for, you know, for the commuters wanting to take this ferry, and then the ferry is going to have to drive by whether that ferry is coming in or going out of the channel to bypass each other. I mean, are you, do you object to the idea of a ferry, or do you just think it's not I'm a feasible thing? I'm very opposed thing? to the idea. Well, why because are you opposed I can tell to the you idea? The people that live in Dolphin Cove and Japan are not going to want to see a, a, a ferry going in and out every day. Why? And here, here's another point. Wait, the why? The mayor why? Wait, is hold after on. a $300 million money grab in Washington. This is nothing more than she wants to put on her resume. She's not listening to facts. She's not listening to the mayors before her. And... There's rumor that they're going to put um, a ferry terminal on the 14-acre site, which is not approved. Now, there again, you know, you got to look at the big question. If she gets this approved and funding for this ferry service, who's going to maintain that ferry when the funds run, run dry? It's going to be the taxpayers. That's who. And should I and everyone else have to fund a ferry? When we have enough issues going on? Not right. So, okay. All right. Where do you live, Maureen? I'm in Stanford. Are you near the cove? Are you near this part of Stanford? Stanford's huge. I live in Japan on the water. You're on the water in Japan. And you, the one thing I, I was confused about, or I, or I don't really understand in your logic today, is that you said that no one's going to want to see a ferry going by. Why wouldn't they want to see a ferry? What's wrong with seeing a ferry? I can tell you my supporters are already animate about it. Why? They don't want to see a ferry going up and down. They have beautiful harbors. These these people are, are I don't understand. Well- they only want to... Wait, wait. But, but Maureen, they only want to see pleasure craft and nice sailboats? They don't want to see a ferry? They, I don't understand They that. pay for their beautiful views. They don't want to see a ferry going up and down the harbor. But why not? What's wrong with seeing anything? They don't I mean, want to see it. I'm, I'm going to be. But they'll see a barge. But they'll see a barge. But they don't want to see a ferry. From a ferry. Maureen, they'll see a barge. You just described lots of barges going into this harbor. They don't object to the barge, but they, they object they to a ferry. They can't object to that because that's a business. I mean, that's that's and a, a ferry is was, not a ferry is not a business. They don't. They don't want the ferry. It's not feasible. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to argue it, but I think sometimes it's a little bit of apples and oranges. I mean, if you say it's not feasible, then it's not feasible, then that's it. That's the end of it. If you say that people just don't want to look at it, I'm sorry. I, I don't consider don't that to be on the it. echelon it's of, affordability. of reasons. It's time. It's distance. It's whether well, that's you can a question of the, the user. Not, which has already been proven fact. It can't. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and a question of the user. nothing more than being tied to probably the new um, building going up. Uh, the Soundwaters building. This is what it's being attached to. Where's the Soundwaters building? I don't know. I don't going? know if that's fact or not, but that's what I'm hearing. So w- there's, there's a myriad of problems here, you okay. know. Well, and again, sure. here's yeah. another issue. Mm-hmm. If this is coming out of Washington, the, the the funding out of Washington, then how is the money going to be allocated to the city of Stanford? Is that coming through the port, port authority? which is currently under investigation by the feds for the New London State Pier Project. 
because that was just in the paper last week. Yeah, no, so there's a lot of questions that would have to be answered. very well of Stanford accepting funds on an organization that's under investigation by the feds. Definitely a lot of questions good. that have to be answered without even... A lot of questions. Absolutely. It does, it, it, and it smells. And the very person that runs the Port Authority is also the same person that runs the Alive at Five uh, here in town. Oh, in Stanford, in Stanford. They, they run that? Okay. All right, Maureen Boylan, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you for raising these issues. They all bear examination, except the one that I take issue with is looking at the ferries. But okay, but other than that, that's, all the rest my of them. Supporters. I'm, I'm here on facts, you know, okay. and that's, you know, that's okay. what's been proven in the, in the studies before me, and I can, I can gladly share it with you. Please, by all means. Thank you very okay, much, great. Maureen Thank you Boylan. so much for having me on your show. A pleasure. 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. The phone lines are always open. 203-333-9422. Back to the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. I'll be handing the baton to Norm Pattis in just a moment. 203-333-9422. And then he will hand it to Paul Paselli from 2 to 6 here on WICC 600, WICC600.com. I think it's fair to say that this is a, this community local radio station is a place where you get to hear news in depth with real time reporting in places that uh, you wouldn't otherwise hear it, you know, because there just aren't many other outlets that are talking about what's happening right here in Connecticut that are literally talking about. There are many that write about it, but there aren't that many talking about it. So I want to thank you for tuning in today and being a WICC listener tomorrow on the show. We have a bunch of people coming on tomorrow. Let me find them. Let me see who's on tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow I'm having Vicki Volper on with her colleague, Kelly Hopkins Alvarez. And they're going to be talking about non-adversarial ways to divorce and non-adversarial ways to think about post-divorce issues. And as part of the non-adversarial attorney network, which there is one, believe it or not, here in Fairfield County, they are offering free consultations. So if you're thinking about uh, getting a divorce or you've already gotten a divorce and you have post-divorce issues with your ex, you may want to make an appointment. We'll have the details tomorrow. Vicki Volper and her colleague, Kelly Hopkins Alvarez, we're going to talk about an alternative way to get divorced here in Connecticut uh, both mediation, collaborative, and just a different way of thinking about splitting up that might be kinder and gentler to you, your pocketbook, and particularly your children. Also coming on tomorrow is Trevor Crow. She's a Democratic candidate for the State Senate District 36, the big one. Ryan Fazio is the Republican. He's coming on on Thursday, so we'll do the Democrat tomorrow, the Republican on Thursday. And Alexis Harrison will be joining us for her response to the New York Times housing article that made its way around Connecticut. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Lisa Wexler, Norm Pattis up from 12 to 2, and then Connecticut's own Paul Paselli from 2 to 6.